Welcome to Dreams in Dirt, a podcast focusing on reptiles, herpeticulture, and reptile-related art. This is episode two. I'm Stuart, and this is Angela. Hi. It's been quite a while since our first episode. We've been busy. Yeah. Pretty busy. A lot of things have happened. Been out of town a lot. I think the first episode was just before we went to the National Reptile Breeders Expo in Daytona. Yeah, just shortly before. I think we were talking about uh, art coming up for that event. Right. So you were in the art show there, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it went really well. And I think it was a little higher visibility than it was the year before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'd set it up differently, so they had some paintings a bit closer to the, the animals this year. Yeah, it's kind of set up in the back corner of the convention center, so unless you know it's there or you see the sign, which is not a small sign, but it's a big convention center. Well, just hanging from the ceiling, fairly large. Yes, but most of the people there would rather be looking at, you know, turtles. Fair enough. Or snakes. Well, mostly turtles. There were a lot of turtles. If you don't know, the Daytona show is one of the larger reptile shows in the country. It's been around for quite a while. This was like a major milestone year, wasn't it? I don't remember which one, though. Was it? I thought it was 27. 27 is a very important year. Is it? Yes. But which milestone is that? It's one of those anniversaries where you get pine cones, isn't it? It's nine times three. Okay. That's a milestone. That's three cubed. Three to the third. That's a very significant number. Okay. I mean, three is a very significant number, right? Sure. So three to the third would be more significant. Maybe even nine times more significant. Should we check and see when what Daytona this actually was? No. Oh, okay. I don't actually know that it was the 27th. But we can pretend. Sure. Before the National Breeders Expo, we actually watched them milk some snakes. Uh, there's a uh, Med Taxon Labs relatively nearby. It's a uh, a serpentarium and also a lab where they uh, milk snakes and uh, create powders from their venoms to make antivenom. Well, I mean, to make the things that they inject into sheep to make the antivenom. To begin the process of making antivenom. Yeah, it's a long process. I mean, you you don't turn venom into antivenom. It was pretty cool. You could actually go and watch them. They had, I wouldn't say a show, but they had audio narration recorded to explain what was going on and were milking the snakes behind a big glass wall. Yeah, they were also tube feeding some of them. I guess the coral snakes have a very specialized diet, so they feed them a liquid diet. And they had nice exhibit, both indoor and outdoor, invisible water monitor. They usually are. For something so large, you would think that they would be more visible. You would think, but they're sneaky. They're Kind of ninjas like leopard geckos. So we did that the day before we set up for the art show. It was, what, maybe 15, 20 minutes away? Yeah, it was surprisingly close for having no idea it was there until this year. We've done Daytona a couple of times, and this is the first we've heard of it. But it was really cool. would highly recommend it if you're doing Daytona. Although don't try to do it during Daytona because the guy is actually attending the one milking the snakes. So it's closed during the Breeders' Expo. At least this year it was. Mm. So we did that Friday morning, basically. Went and set up the art show. And that night, did we do anything? We didn't. We crashed that night. Uh, That was the Turtle Talks night, but we missed the Turtle Talks. Yeah, usually we go to them at least for a couple they're usually kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not really turtle people, but they have both 
people who've been keeping turtles or tortoises for a long time. Or academic researchers that have been studying particular species that are of interest to the hobby. Yeah, I know last year they had some people that were studying alligator snapping turtles in the wild, and that was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. So we can't really report on what was covered this year, but I'm sure it was fascinating if you like turtles. Or just talks on various species. Yeah. And aren't that picky about what they are. So Saturday was the show itself. Saturday and Sunday was the show itself, and it went really well. We got to reconnect with people we hadn't seen in a while and that was good and also a lot of great animals this was a good year for hog noses if you enjoy those yeah we saw a leucistic western hog nose yeah not sure how many of those there are but not very many yeah i this think this was one of the older ones too and that was pretty neat mm-hmm. what other cool animals did we see there was my favorite what the friendly crocodile monitor there was a friendly crocodile monitor that someone had and it decided to jump on my head and that was a lot of fun fortunately it was friendly and a baby yeah it was only well i guess what kind of merton that's not a good animal to use as an example merton's water monitor no it's probably about the size of a green tree monitor Uh, it wasn't that small a big green tree monitor a really big green tree like the green tree monitor of doom It, it was not tiny it was about the size of a green tree monitor well maybe a little bigger but sure but i mean about And certainly, you know, built like one, being a crocodile monitor, which are giant, basically giant tree monitors. Mm -hmm. Or raptors. What are they, like, death from above? Yeah, their name means death from above in, was it Malayan? I'm not sure. Mm. What is that false water cobra doing? Which one? The female. Can you make sure she's okay? She was doing something that looked really weird. Okay. Sorry, it looked like she was chewing on something. Oh, we got false water cobras, by the way, but we'll get back to that in a minute. In terms of other animals we saw, they had plenty of cool stuff. Galapagos tortoises. Kingorium monitors, which are tiny, tiny little dwarf monitors. Albino ones, too. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think like the albino kingorium are about as common as the regular ones. Yeah, I guess so, but neither are very common. They're always kind of fun to see. Yeah. We're going to end up with some of those, aren't we? Probably. Let's see. A lot of abronia this year, too. And we came home with a few things. Mostly hognose. Mostly hognose. And you got some toke geckos. Yes, I did. And they're strangely nice toke geckos. I'm used to them being kind of loud and bitey, but you've got some fairly nice ones. Yeah, they're very calm. They were labeled captive bred, which might explain their calmness, but they weren't in the best of shape when we got them. We've been, well, mostly you've been fattening them up. Yeah, they were skinny, dehydrated, a couple other issues. They are doing much better now. Yeah, they're they're doing much better. And they're still really friendly. I don't know what it is about toke geckos, maybe because they're blue. They are very striking. I just find them really endearing. Sometimes they're literally striking, too, screaming at the same time. Yeah, that happens. Worked in a pet store for a long time, and, well, I used to use leather gloves with the toke. These ones you don't need leather gloves with. I think they might actually just be crusties in disguise. Maybe they did a little surgery on some crusties, painted them. Painted crusties? Yeah. Maybe. And speaking of crusties, we managed to come out of the auction this year without a crusted gecko? Yeah, no, no crusted geckos whatsoever. That was an accomplishment? get anything at the auction i don't think we did get anything at the auction we bid on plenty of stuff yeah just got outbid every time it was actually one of the higher priced auctions things going for ridiculous amounts occasionally yeah um you put in a couple of magnets that went pretty well like the 
Kaboon Viper that you put in went for over twice what you generally charge for it, which is pretty awesome. Although not as uh, popular as the Jello shots. Oh, God, they were selling like bags of Jello shots or auctioning off bags of Jello shots. I don't even remember what they went for. I think there was a $600 bag of Jello shots. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know, it, it all goes to US Arc, and that's really the point. Mm -hmm. It's mostly an excuse to give money to US Arc. Which is cool. Mm -hmm. And I suppose we should probably mention what US Arc is for people who may not know. It's the, the US Association of Reptile Keepers. They're a national advocacy group for people who keep reptiles. Yeah, they work on changing reptile laws. Places where they're they're trying to ban reptiles, they'll help exotic owners in that area make their case. Sometimes they'll team up with some of the other exotic groups too. PJAC is more of the group for other animals, but USARC and PJAC often have a good relationship. Yeah, USARC has been behind the lawsuit that's been fighting the Lacey Act. That's the law that was put in place that bans interstate transportation of certain large constrictors. The first set included yellow anacondas, Burmese pythons, and Indian pythons. Mostly people were concerned with the Burmese the first time. Uh, most recently they've tried to, well, they're still in a lawsuit about reticulated pythons, green anacondas, and shoot, now I've forgotten what the other one was. Was it just reticulated pythons and green anacondas this time? W weren't there a bunch of anacondas? Yeah, I mean, they added all of the anacondas, but people only really keep green anacondas. There, well, there was boa constrictors originally on that list, but that was sort of patently ridiculous to ban, so they backed off of that. Well, I mean, unless they want to start banning things like cats. Well, you know, most of the arguments against Burmese pythons are going to apply more strongly to cats anyway. So. True. Not that I have anything against cats. I like cats. As far as things that are destructive invasively. Cats and pigs. Top of the okay. list. Yep. Oh, we also picked up a few Kenyan sandbows for a friend. Oh, yeah. She's uh, starting to breed her first snake. So she's starting off with Kenyan sandbows. They're a nice, easy-to-keep small species. And they bear live young, so you don't have to really worry about incubation. Mm -hmm. All in all, it was a good Daytona. Yeah, it was a good show. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely going back next year. It kind of turns into a mini vacation for us because you're selling stuff at the art show, but we don't really have to be there, but we can. Yeah, it is kind of lovely. They they actually sell the things for you if you're you're just in the art show. I mean, they take a commission. But... Well, sure, but every place does. So what else have we done besides Daytona? There was... The Greenville Repticon. We didn't go as Dreams and Dirt, but we went as our, our herb club. This other Appalachian Herptological Society. Yeah, and that was cool. We actually had a table set up, and, or a couple tables set up, and just kind of brought animals to talk about. And we actually got to bring some of our own animals that were more uh, personable. Yeah, brought Diego, who's our big hybrid tegu. And we also brought... Newt, who's one of our Ackies, a spiny-tailed dwarf monitor. Yeah, he's our super-friendly Ackie. One of our super-friendly Ackies. We have, well, we have a couple. Sure, but I mean, he's the most outgoing with other people. Fair enough. And you actually gave one of the talks on Ackies. Yeah, it uh, was my first time giving a talk at Arepticon. I think it... You probably pitched it a little high. I, I probably did. I, I don't uh, know that anyone knew what Naki was, but I think a few people came away with a good impression of them. But yeah, well, they wanted to play with the little lizard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was doing the come when I call him thing, which he doesn't always do, but sometimes he does if he's bored. 
And he wants to. Happens to be moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more than if he happens to be in that direction, yeah. but it's still like calling a cat. He might look at me and consider it. Speaking of monitors, there was a huge water monitor there, too. That was fun. Yeah. Very friendly. Yeah, that was cool. Got to play with a big water monitor. Yeah, it was a, it was a very friendly monitor. And Diego went over well, as he pretty much always does. Yeah, although I think he had the best time sitting outside basking. Well, he sometimes gets a little overpeopled. Yeah, particularly when he gets crowded. But he's not shy about kind of letting you know and just saying, I'm going to go back to my enclosure now. There were also some cool things there besides the water monitor. There was a guy who lives in Greenville who had some cave-dwelling rat snakes. Those were the first time I'd seen those. Yeah, they were really pretty. Almost like beauty snakes, but cleaner markings maybe, and bluer. Bluer, I'd say more gray. More gray? Okay. It's kind of a blue-gray. Well, aren't they related to beauty snakes? I think so, yeah. I'm not 100% certain on that. They just look a lot like them, or if they actually are related, though. And we also picked up a blood python there. Yeah, she's a really nice Matrix girl, um, not too bitey. Uh, we have another blood python who's uh, just a, a normal red blood python, and so we thought we would get a bait for him. The Matrix is a co-dominant for ivory, so... No, they seem to have. Yeah. Not that the blood python that we had before was Matrix or Ivory. No, I mean, he's not Matrix, but if we get further into blood pythons. Speaking of new project, we uh, just recently also got a pair of false water cobras. Got might not be the right word. Borrowed? Sure. Our friend who runs a serpentarium in the area, uh, Walter Kids, called Serpentarium Magic, had some false water cobras that did not have time to breed, so we're, we're watching them for him. And hopefully breeding them for him. Hopefully. We'll see if we can figure it out. And we'll probably have Walter on an episode here in the future to talk a little bit about the Serpentarium. He opened it just this past year. Yeah, it's a really nice facility. It's got like 150 enclosures and a lot of really unusual vipers. So we've had the false water cobras for a little over a month now? Uh, about a month, yeah. Yeah, and so far I think we're liking them. Yeah, no, they're uh, really friendly, actually. I didn't really know what to expect, but, uh, I mean, not that I'm not taking them out of their enclosures with a ho without a hook, but once they're out, you can actually handle them, and they're pretty friendly. Yeah, the male is a little crazy. Crazy in the energetic sense, not... Yeah, not in the, the bitey sense. No, he's not aggressive at all. Mm -mm. They're really aggressive feeders, though. Like, they'll they'll come right out of the enclosures for food. You definitely want to use tongs with those guys. And they really do look like water cobras. Quite a bit. Yeah, I was surprised. They hood pretty impressively, too, when they decide to do that. Not that they hood often, but it's, it's more of a defensive thing, so. Yeah, if you walk by the cage, sometimes the vibrations will frighten them a little bit, and the hood. They're not snakes for everyone. They are rear-fanged and slightly venomous. I mean, not necessarily in a deadly way. Well, not in a deadly way. Well, no, not, well, I mean, I guess you could go into anaphylactic shock if you were allergic, but it's more of a, you might have and an allergic reaction to it. And you could go into anaphylactic shock if you licked a goat. I could, true. But, you know, people keep goats, and they don't consider goats dangerous. Goats are pretty dangerous. To you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're big, impressive snakes. I mean, as far as colubrids go. Yeah, they uh, do remind me a little bit of Rebos or maybe an indigo snake. They're really wide and very active. The female's about seven feet long, the one that we have. Yeah. Uh, the male's just a little bit smaller than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
he's probably about six feet. And they really like the water, too. Uh, hence the name. At first, they were sleeping in their water dishes pretty much exclusively. I've cut back their water a little bit recently just because I wanted to take the humidity down. And also, they come from a region where it floods part of the year and it's dry part of the year. So I'm hoping maybe I can mimic that a little bit. I think she's trying to dig. Sorry, we were just distracted by one of them. She's uh, trying to push her nose between uh, the wall of their enclosure and a brick. I think she's trying to dig. They they do have character. Yeah, they seem almost... It's probably just that, you know, they have kind of the round, personable pupils, and they, they look at you, but uh, seem a little smart for snakes. They eat a lot, too. Currently, I'm feeding them on a hognose schedule, so, like, every four days, they get, like, three day-old chicks or some... Mice or rats. They can do fish, too. Or sausages. I did feed them. We got some of the reptilinks from reptilinks, and our tegu actually wasn't a fan. I mean, most tegus love them, but I had a bunch of extras, so I uh, fed some of those to the false water cobras. And I can say that false water cobras love reptilinks. Uh, at least ours. Yes. And reptilinks, they're just... These were, what, just ground venison? Uh, yeah, they were just ground venison, the whole deer yeah but i mean not at once that'd be a really big false water cobra be a really big sausage yeah <laughs> so you were talking about the area that they're from yeah the pantanimal region in um, brazil yeah part of the year it's flooded and then part of the year it's very dry yeah and the dry part tends to be around sort of this time of year so it'd be like winter for us they tend to breed during the dry part of the year uh, which would be around now-ish, so I'm trying to kind of mimic that for them. And that's getting into summer there? Yeah, or winter here. Although apparently it's been raining a lot in Sao Paulo over the last week. Oh, how do you know that? My co-workers who live outside of Sao Paulo have ah. told me. Okay, well that makes sense. I guess the false water cobras, despite their size and appearance, they kind of remind me of the hog. Well, I mean, they're kind of vaguely related. I mean, they're also xenodonts, like the hognose, so they're a little bit related to the hognose. Like the same group of glubrids? Yeah, uh, roughly. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And they kind of do some of the same or similar silly things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess they, they also kind of dig a lot with their nose. They're certainly a lot more graceful in the water than the hognose. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a hognose in the water. Oh, well, next time I soak them, you should come in. What do they do? Just, they're not the most graceful things in the water. Can they swim or do they just flop? Yeah, they can swim. They're just, I don't know. Not, yeah, I mean... Not that I soak them often. I mean, just gashad doesn't go well or something. Or they're filthy. Or they're filthy. Uh, sometimes hognose can be painters, in a sense. They, uh, they produce their own paint. They do. They make their own paint. Uh, and actually, the false water cobras are also painters. I, especially when you feed them chicks, they're particularly odiferous painters. Full sensory experience. They are a full sensory experience. They're, they're a thing you can breathe in. And I clean them every other day, so it's not like they... Uh, it's not like it builds up. It's just it's a full sensory experience uh, every day. But on a more pleasant note, they, they are really graceful in the water. They are. They're actually really pretty in the water. We've let them swim around in the bathtub, and they seem to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they're they're very active. They they like to uh, like to wander a lot. We've kind of let them wander around the house a little bit too. And you've taken them outside. Yeah, I'm a little nervous with that just because uh, you know if they did get away from me, they haven't really taken off. But then they kind of are their own leash. But also being seen outside with the hook, it's not really like something I'm super comfortable with. They're not super venomous, but you should still use equipment with them. Yeah, they're not a animal that we're planning on taking to reptile education events. I mean, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be really be a problem, but if someone walked by and they hood in, someone might get you know, really afraid. And if somebody actually did get, I mean, not that they show any signs that they would ever bite somebody, but if they did, that could be bad. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, apart from the venom even, which I've heard conflicting reports on that don't think it's supposed to be very bad, but I think the actual bite itself, they often prey on fish in the wild and they have a bit of a slashing bite. And they're not small snakes, so that could do some damage to someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a concern too. Not that these two are inclined to bite at all. But... And not that we don't take Diego to these events and he could do a whole lot more damage. Uh, fair enough, although Diego is probably a lot smarter than a snake. A lot more predictable than a snake in some way. I guess something could still happen, but then he could get scared. Anything's possible, but the same could be said with a dog. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, certainly he is less dangerous than a large dog, and people walk those out in public all the time. Do we want to briefly go over Falsewater Cobra Care? Sure, why not? Okay. Well, as a big active snake, they need a fairly large enclosure. Uh, Most people recommend at least four feet by two feet, but, you know, the larger the better. They want a pretty sizable water bowl to sleep in, particularly during the kind of wet part of the year. Heat-wise, I've heard conflicting reports. A lot of people say they want a basking spot of 95. Some people say that's a little too high and that 85 is more appropriate. Um, I've kind of kind of got them somewhere in the middle, and they want a gradient, so, you know, warm side to cool side. But they live in Brazil, so I'm guessing it gets pretty warm there. Yeah, just some people feel that even though they're in Brazil, they aren't necessarily a super high temperature snake. Okay. They eat very frequently. They have a super fast digestive system. For, I've heard that smaller meals more frequently is better. I'm currently feeding them every four days, but some people feed them more on a weekly basis, larger meals. That's kind of up to individual preference. Um, they're a diurnal snake, so uh, they actually do want a little bit of light, too. I guess it's good to provide them with 12 to 14 hours of light. Do they need UV? They don't need UV, but they do want a light cycle. With ours, they're just getting that ambiently with the room, but that seems to be working okay. They're pretty similar to Kribos in a lot of ways, but just, you know, large active enclosure. Um, The more space you can give them, the better, then they'll use it. And you should handle them with care, although... Yeah, generally, uh, I've heard it recommended that you want to take them out of their enclosure with a hook, like venomous, and you want to feed them with tongs. I definitely recommend the feeding them with tongs. Oh God, feed them with tongs. They're very enthusiastic feeders. They're going to come right up and out and chase you with the food, and they're not always great with the aim. And yeah, tongs, long tongs, very long. That was actually one of the things that we picked up in Daytona in preparation for getting them, right? 
Yeah, I got one of the longest pairs of hemostats I could find. So what else have we been up to? Well, our uh, club also did a picnic at Beehive Coffee Shop. Yeah, that's a coffee shop here in the Asheville area, just kind of down the street from where we live. And we've taken Diego and... They're they're pet friendly, and we've taken advantage of that with our Argentine hairless dog, Diego. Yes. Our scaly Argentine hairless dog. They're actually pretty fond of him. Yeah. But we had our club had our annual picnic there, and we had an kind of an educational outreach event. I was actually there yesterday, and the owner of the coffee shop said that there people were still talking about it and thought it was really cool. So we might do something like that again in the spring. Oh, that'd be good. I hadn't actually mentioned that to you, had I? No. We also did Repticon Atlanta. Yes. Picked that up, was this past weekend. Picked up a gecko rack. I'm kind of upgrading our setup with the geckos. Replaced a big, clunky old wooden rack. Picked that up from Dragon Reptile Cages, which used to be bigger boxes. Yeah, we've been friends with the owners. They're based out of Greenville, just down the road from us. And Debbie has Jungle Jewels Reptiles as well. That's her breeding operation. Lots of geckos and bearded dragons and chameleons and she's been going through a rough time lately yeah she's been having some significant health problems there's actually going to be an auction at the columbia repticon for her benefit yeah she has some serious medical bills that she needs all the help she can get so if you're going to be at the columbia repticon please consider coming out to the auction or even donating something. Kathy Elrod, who is the vendor coordinator for Repticon in this area, will be collecting donations of whatever to be auctioned off. I'm certainly going to be bringing Smart. And the auction sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. They have a great auctioneer lined up. They're going to be barbecue plates, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they've been fun in the past. And you can usually get some cool deals. That's where we got our latest crested gecko uh, for the Texas Rattlesnake Festival. We got a crested gecko at an auction? Gasp. It's a problem. A sickness. An addiction. Okay. Uh, Should we move on to the news? Sure. Okay. That was a great transition. I don't know. Do you want some news music or something? News music. Okay. Well, that will be our new news music. News music. Never mind, not want. <laughs> well, uh, should we start off depressing or happy? Are we going to do both? Sure. Then let's start depressing. Okay. Well, how about the extinction of a species? The uh, loneliest frog on Earth, Tuffy, the last rab's fringe-limbed tree frog, uh, has uh, has died. Uh, oh, I heard about that. That's uh, that was in the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, right? Yes which we almost went to last weekend. Yeah, I mean, we still would have missed him. Right. Although their website has not been updated. No, but... It still uh, says that they have him. Well, they may, uh, but he'd be in the freezer. We're going to get less depressing, right? Yes, yes. This is definitely our most depressing story with the extinction of an entire species of frog. Unfortunately, he was the, the last one. They describe him as handsome. His uh, species was wiped out by one of the uh, the deadly amphibian funguses that have been going around lately. So is he actually native to the Atlanta area? No, no. Um, he's uh, native to Panama. Some of them were removed before the fungus swept through, unfortunately. Uh, the, not a breeding population. 
Apparently there was another one at the uh, Atlanta Zoo that died in 2012. Yep, that was depressing. Well, how about something a little happier? Uh, researchers have discovered some javelin sand boas in Sicily, and they think that the reason that they're there is that the Greeks used to use them, or used to uh, throw them at the enemy as a scare tactic. So use them as javelins? Yes. So they're literally javelin sand boas. Sand boas. Yes. Not dangerous at all. So I can't imagine throwing a snake would be very effective. I guess it's distracting. I mean, I, I assume that it was the stabbing that they were hoping to kill people with, not the snake. But I guess if you throw a snake in their face and then stab them. How big are these snakes? They're not that much larger than the Kenyan sand boas. They get about two feet long. I guess the largest they found was 33 inches. Okay. So kind of a little harmless snake. So they just used them as distraction by throwing them at people. That's what they're claiming. You know, I actually took a history class on the ancient Greek military. This is not something that they talked about. You know, I'm not sure why they would have included the snake throwing. Actually, given the professor, I'm shocked that they didn't include snakes. Well, they uh, they think that they were introduced to the area in around 800 BC when the uh, the Greeks were colonizing Sicily. These were their projectile snake of choice. If you had to choose a snake as a projectile, what would it be? What would your projectile snake of choice be? Is this as a distraction? As whatever you want. Hmm. Maybe an Amazon tree ball? That would be... Well, I guess that'd be hard to throw, though. I, I don't really advocate throwing snakes. Well, like, no. I mean, it sounds like a horrible practice. But, you know, if you had to. I guess... For a pure show, the Hawknose would be a pretty good choice, since they kind of huff and puff and act very venomous. Okay. You know, whenever I go clean their things out, I, I get a little chorus of hisses. Yeah, but that generally stops as soon as you pick them up. That's true. How about you? What would be your projectile snake of choice? I don't know. I mean, from, you know, a, a purely form factor standpoint, I, I guess something like a Kenyan Sambo or a rosy bow or something like that would work pretty well. Do you feel like they're aerodynamic? Well, I mean, not aerodynamic per se, but you could actually throw it effectively, I guess. They're kind of stubby. and. So are you thinking like a ball python would work well too? Well, the problem with the ball python is that it would like wrap around you and hold on. If it weren't for the fact that they could bite you and that would be bad. I would say like a small rattlesnake would probably work well too. I'm just assuming that there are issues with throwing venomous snakes because well, sure. of the fact that you have to hold them first. That's that's kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. I mean, if you had like some sort of apparatus that was kind of like a lacrosse stick type thing that you could use to toss them. We do not advocate the tossing of snakes, by the way. No, as I said, it sounds like a horrible practice. But, you know, as a thought experiment, it's kind of an interesting question. I'm guessing it's not something you've considered before. Uh, no, I, I hadn't considered snake tossing tools. But, but yeah, I, I suppose a lacrosse thing would be a reasonable... I mean, you know, just thinking... Fiber tosser. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want, like, a net on it, though, because they could get out of that. Just kind of a scoop. Yeah, like a, a scoop. On a, a scoop on a stick. So a shovel. Like a snow shovel type thing, maybe. Okay. No, I mean, I'm just thinking about, in terms of the snakes we have, which would be the most effective to throw. And the hognose wouldn't be bad. Certainly better than 
the false water cobras, which would just not work at all. No, they, they are not possible. I think the most effective would probably be, you know, our small blood pythons. When blood pythons get big, they're going to be, you know, too big to toss. But the small ones are, you know, only a little over a foot long. And Well, as an awkward transition, uh, another tossable snake, I suppose, uh, is the mock viper, which is a snake from Thailand uh, that they've just recently discovered can actually uh, change its eyes from looking like clubbered eyes to looking like slit pupils, like a viper. I guess if they're looking at its pupils, though, you're probably not. Well, no, I, I, maybe you have sufficiently distracted the enemy. If yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at a snake's pupil, I'm not going to see that sword coming at me. I mean, fencing with snakes, would that have been, like, dis sufficiently distracting if people were tossing sandbows at you? Probably. You don't have a whole lot of peripheral vision, so it would have to be kind of a, a straight toss because, you know, the mask kind of cuts off the sides. Yeah, fair enough. So what, what's the form factor on, on these snakes? Like, are they, are they tossable? They're not super stubby. They're, they're more of a, a lanky viper-looking snake. I mean, they're, uh, they're not a viper, but... Colubrid? I'm guessing so. They look a little bit like a cat snake. Yeah, I, I think they're colubrid. Okay. Um, they, they look a little bit like a cat-eyed snake type. And uh, a lot like a Malayan pit viper. Yeah, I, I can see that. Although when their eyes aren't slitted, they're really cute. Yeah, they are kind of adorable. We'll include uh, links to some of these articles so that you can see the adorableness of the mock viper. Then getting into real vipers, uh, we have a man in Monroe County, Indiana, who found a two-headed rattlesnake. Where did he find it? In Belmont. That's not what I meant. Did he find it in his shoe? Oh, no, he found it in his yard. Fortunately, he didn't kill it, too. That's odd. I always find my two-headed rattlesnakes in my shoes. Do you? No. I mean, I suppose it's possible that you could find a two-headed rattlesnake in your shoe. I can't even find my shoes half the time. So do you think a two-headed snake would be easier to toss than a one-headed snake? No, I don't think so. Harder? Well, I'm guessing the two heads would flow very well. Be the whole aerodynamic thing you were mentioning with sandbows. Well, I guess it depends on your tossing technique. If you, like, held it by the tail and, like, kind of did a, a sideways throw where the head was, like, further out, the additional weight might, you know, carry it further. Oh, so sort of like a bola or something? Yeah, well, I mean, with a bola, you're, you're going to spin it, and you don't want to spin a snake. No. That, that would be... So what kind of rattlesnake was this? Uh, it was a timber rattlesnake. Okay. So the same type we have here. Okay, cool. You don't really hear much about two-headed rattlesnakes. No, I think that's the first one I've seen, but uh, I'm I'm sure there's there have been others at some point. Well, I I guess what's weird is to me is that it apparently survived in the wild. It wasn't a baby, was it? Uh, no, it was a baby. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, hard to say if it will actually survive, but. Is it still in the wild, or did someone catch it? Uh, he did not catch it. No, he just took some pictures of it. I suspect Walter will be disappointed. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. As... He would have liked to have gotten that. Yeah, he has a two-headed corn snake and many, many rattlesnakes. So, so many rattlesnakes. So I think that would have excited him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So that's it for the news. I'm not going to sing. Thank you. You're welcome. So what's on the horizon? Oh, 
mentioned the Walter's corn snake. He wanted you to do a magnet version of that, right? Yeah, I've, I've just gotten the one-headed corn snake done, and I'm going to be uh, altering that one soon to make a two-headed corn snake for him. What other um, magnets have you done lately? I've also done a mallard duck and a vampire bat. For Halloween? Kinda. I mean, you know, sometimes it's just good to have a vampire bat. Fair enough. Although, uh, be a little awkward this year since one of the main galleries have been exhibiting through uh, just uh, had to move locations and won't be opening up till December. They're uh, Zipow, uh, one of the local Asheville galleries, kind of an illustration gallery. Yeah, they had problems with their landlord and... Refusing to renew the lease. It sounded like a mess. Yeah, it did. But they're going to be moving to a new location and... Hopefully that will be good. Yeah, I'm hoping it will be a better situation for them. So that'll be opening back up in December, and there will probably be a big event when that happens. Uh, yeah. What else is coming up? I guess the other thing we have coming up is uh, Columbia Repticon. Uh, we're going to have a table there. And we mentioned that earlier. That's in... Early November. Right. November 4th and 5th, I think. Something like that. Something like around the fifth yeah yeah that weekend i don't have a calendar in front of me there'll also be that auction during that we mentioned earlier well i mean it's in between the day like it's saturday night well that will be it for today you can follow us at dreamsindirt.com or at our instagram which is also dreams in dirt or facebook same there and you can find us on soundcloud or itunes or Google Play, and maybe some other places. We hope that you enjoyed the podcast. And if you have any suggestions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Oh, you can also email us at dreamsanddirt at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye.